Welcome to the podcast for WGTS 91.9's Gateway Fellowship, a weekly service for anyone of any faith that is ultimately about inspiring hope. You can learn more and find more messages like this at mygatewayfellowship.com. So, um, how many of you believe in prayer? All right, that's what I want to see. Every hand goes up. How many of you pray? All right, that's, that's wonderful. I love to see people praying. So if you guys pray, then maybe you might have experienced this too. How many of you have had a, a really tough time in your life, and you've, and you've gone to your knees, and you've prayed about it, and you've prayed about it, and you've prayed about it, and then you've prayed about it some more, and you felt like God didn't answer? Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there right now. Um, it's kind of a hard time. When you, when you feel like you're kneeling down and you're pouring your heart out to God, and this is something important, because God cares. He tells us that he cares about the hairs on our head. So he cares about everything in our life, and he tells us that in his word. And then we come to him with these, these issues that we have, these problems, these concerns, these loved ones, and it feels like our prayers are hitting the ceiling and bouncing down. What's going on? Unfortunately, I've had a few times like this in my life, but one that stands out the most was when I was in seminary. I was going to school to be a pastor. And obviously, if you're going to school to be a pastor, your relationship with God must be perfect, right? Uh, Well, just so you know, pastors are human too. And um, when I was in school, I was single. And the prayer that I prayed multiple times a day, was God send me a husband. I can't do this alone. God, you need to send me a husband. God, please send me a husband. God, send me a husband. And that was my prayer. It started when I was in college here at Washington Adventist University, and it went right through seminary, and it just felt for almost three years that God wasn't listening. So does the Bible talk to us about stuff like that? One of my favorite childhood stories from the Bible, one of my favorite Bible stories was Noah. You guys like the story of Noah? I loved as a child, I thought Noah and the ark, that is the coolest story. Don't you think? Can you imagine being on the ark and having just a wonderland of animals to play with? And I would start thinking about all these different animals that are on the ark and that Noah and his family got to hang out with every single day. And then I grew up, and when I was um, a young adult, I worked at a summer camp. And in the summer camp, I was in charge of the horse barn, and we had a small petting zoo that I was in charge of that had cows and rabbits and sheep and goats and ducks and all sorts of little things. And then I got to take care of animals... And so I got to, began to change my perspective a little bit on what Noah might have felt like in the ark. Can you imagine being in the ark? The ark is jam-packed full. It tells us in Genesis that Noah was supposed to bring two of every single kind of animal from the entire world on there. Anything that crawled on the earth, all the birds that flew in the air. And then he was supposed to bring seven pairs of any animal that was clean so that could be eaten or used for sacrifice. So he had a lot of animals on this ark. 
And here Noah is. And it tells us that God, God chose Noah because he looked down at the entire world and he saw that everyone who lived, every single person, every thought they had was entirely and completely evil and wicked. And God actually says he repented. He was sorry that he made human beings. And so he says, I am going to wipe this earth clean, and I'm going to start over. And he looked through the entire world, and he found one man who is righteous. He found Noah. And so he tells Noah to build, and Noah starts building. And as Noah builds the ark, um, 120 years later, Noah finishes building the ark. And this entire time, he has been trying to convince the world around him to come into the ark for safety. Do you know how many people he was able to save? Seven others, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. And so God tells Noah, I need you to go in the ark. So Noah goes in the ark. And I can't imagine this, but God comes down in a mighty display, and he shuts the door of the ark. So there Noah is inside the ark. And do you know how long Noah was in the ark before it started to rain? It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. You are 100% correct. But he was in the ark for seven whole days before one drop of water fell on the ground. Then, can you imagine that? Feeling like the world around you was scoffing. You crazy old fool. What are you doing in there? What's this thing called rain? Nothing's going to happen. You build this huge boat in the middle. Uh, it's landlocked. You're not going anywhere. And so, seven days on the dot, it begins to rain. Now, this wasn't just a gentle rain, the soothing pitter-patter that you like to fall asleep to. It tells us in Genesis that the earth erupted with water, and the heaviest rain fell, so heavy that um, the, the world fills up in 40 days. In other words, we have hurricane-type forces of rain. We have gushers that are coming up from the ground. And Noah is in the ark with a bunch of animals. And he is being tossed and battled back and forth in the waves. What he gets to do every single day is clean up poo and feed the animals, and try not to throw up and make another mess because he's so seasick because the ark is going crazy. And so for 40 days, can you imagine on day five what you might be thinking if you're in this little adventure? God, when is this going to end? Can you imagine maybe the prayers that Noah's praying right about now? What might they be if you were Noah? God... Please let the rain stop. God, please keep the boat from rocking so hard. God, please let us out of here. I don't know if I can take it another day. Forty days pass. And Noah, finally there's relief. Through the window in the top of the ark, some rays of sun begin to shine through. Finally, relief. So when are we getting out of here? Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons. Hey, Dad, 
God told us that it wasn't going to rain for seven days when we went in the ark. And then he told us that it was going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. But he didn't tell us when we were going to get out. Does anybody know how long Noah was in the ark? I want you guys to turn with me to Genesis if you brought your Bibles. If not, look on the apps on your smartphones because I know all of you have those. It's a Bible that you have with you. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. We're turning to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And this kind of tells us how things got started. So Genesis, the 8th chapter. And we're going to start reading in verse 3. It says, So the floodwaters gradually receded from the earth. After 150 days, exactly five months from the time the flood began. So 150 days, what do you think happens after 150 days? Five months of being in the ark. You know what happens? The ark lands on Mount Ararat. So they have been on an ocean voyage in the vast ocean. And you, anybody who's out in the vast ocean knows that you're subject to the winds and the waves because there's no land to stop things. And so they're out there in a tumultuous sea. And it, for five whole months, can you imagine what Noah's prayers might be? God, when are we going to get out of this? And every time he can peek his head out of the little window, all he can see is water for miles and miles and miles and miles. Finally, five months later, the ark lands. Then if you keep reading, the ark lands um, on Mount Ararat. Two and a half months later, the waters continue to go down enough that Noah can see other mountain peaks. So how fast is the water going down? By now, we've been in the ark for seven and a half months, and Noah can barely just see the tips of mountains. What is that telling you? What kind of hope are you having if you're Noah? How long do you get to stay in your floating zoo? If I were Noah, I might begin to think, God, did you drop your watch in this water? Is that why you don't know what's going on? Did you not know we were going to be here? God, have you forgotten us? God, don't you care that we're here? They are completely at the mercy. So they're there for seven and a half months. After seven and a half months, Noah waits 40 days. And then he sends out a raven. And the raven flies back and forth and back and forth and doesn't find anywhere to land. If you were Noah, what would, why do you think he sent out a raven? He is hoping desperately that this bird will give him some inkling that dry land is appearing, that we can get out of here soon. Well, the raven flies back and forth and back and forth, and a week later, Noah sends out a dove. And the dove flies back and forth and back and forth and finally comes back and it lands on Noah's finger. And he waits another week. And he sends out the dove again. And the dove flies back and forth and this time it comes back with an olive branch. What do you think Noah might be feeling right about now? 
This is a good sign. God is good. We are getting out of here soon. If an olive branch is there, that means trees are growing. That means the ground must be dry, right? A week later, he sends out the dove again. This time, the dove doesn't come back. How long after he sends out the last dove does it take for him to get out of the boat? If you look with me in Genesis chapter 8, we're going to start reading in verse 13. Noah was now 601 years old. On the first day of the new year, ten and a half months after the flood began, the floodwaters had almost dried up on the earth. Noah lifted back the covering of the boat and saw the surface of the ground was drying. Two more months went by, and at last the earth was dry. If you've been adding this up with me, can anybody tell me how long Noah's been in the boat? How long? He's been in the boat for one year and 18 days before God opens the door. Now, if you were in the boat, what would you have been doing? Going crazy? I would have been going crazy. In fact, um, it says that two and a half months or two months before Noah got out of the boat, he looks out and he sees that the land is dry. So before he'd been looking out and he's seeing water, but now he looks out and he sees the land is dry. What would you do then? Climbed out the window. I'd I'd had me an axe or a crowbar or something, and I'd have been working on that door. After all, the land is dry. Right? We've got to get out there. How do you think Noah's feeling right about now about how much God is listening to him? Maybe he could understand that God was telling him to wait when water covered the earth and all he could see was water. And he might have thought God was taking too long, but now the land is dry and it looks good and God still isn't opening the door. Have you ever been there? You've been praying about something. I was praying about this whole relationship situation. And when I was praying about it, um, I was in seminary. And there was this joke going around seminary um, that I was the woman at the well. Because, uh, and the reason this joke was going around was because when you're a woman in seminary, which isn't very common, they assume the man you're sitting next to is your husband. And so there was five different semesters in seminary. So I had a different husband each semester just because I happened to sit next to a man. And um, then on top of that, um, we lived in a duplex, and my roommate and I lived upstairs, and downstairs was a couple friend of mine, and so the joke was, I'd been married five times, and the man I was living with was not my husband. <laughs> and um, so we'd always joke, people would ask me how my husband was, and I'd always tell them, if you see him, send him home. <laughs> and <laughs> they're like, oh, they would look at me, and they're like, well, isn't so, no, his wife would be very upset if I was, you know. and so... I come home after church one day, and there's a man sitting at my dining room, ta- dining room table. And we struck up a conversation, and it started going really well. There were some red flags. You know those red flags that pop up in your head. But, you know, I've been praying for a husband, and this is dry ground. And so I had opened the door of the ark, and I had gotten out, and I was convinced that this was the man that I was going to marry. And I dove in full force, and two weeks later, he told me, Jen, I'm not interested in a relationship with you. Have you ever done that? 
Why didn't God open the door when Noah looks out to see that the ground is dry? Think about it. What had the earth been doing for the last 150 days? Soaking. Things are not always as they appear. Do you guys know that? Do you know that Satan likes to take just enough good and mix it with something that's harmful to trick us into jumping in something that we're not supposed to be doing? And if we are not relying every single day, if we're not talking to God, and if we're not waiting on him to open doors, when we get the door pried open, we're going to jump out and hit mud up to our eyeballs. And we are going to be stuck, and we're going to be in deep, and some of us may not get out of the mud. Not only that, maybe the mud was dry enough, but at this point in time, there's not enough vegetation to grow, to feed all the animals. Noah and his family were now eating the animals that they had brought on the ark, the clean animals. So if God let them out before vegetation had grown enough to feed the animals, there would have been a quick succession of death. The animals would have died, and Noah and his family would have died. So the door is closed. So what has God been doing this entire time? Noah's been praying. He's been asking, God, please let me out of here. God, you don't know what it's like to be in a boat full of animals. And my sons, I love them to pieces, but they're driving me nuts. And the women, let's not get started with the women. And let's just, and can you imagine... Can you imagine what it would have been like the same eight people in a confined space with nothing but chores to do all day? God, what are you doing? Well, first of all, what was God doing? First of all, it says that God was carrying the ark. With the, with the amount of violence that would have had to happen in order for this world to fill up in 40 days with water, with the, how fast the water had to come from the sky and from the ground, there's no reason why any man-made anything should have survived. And so God is carrying the ark. This was the hardest time of Noah's journey, is during this time. And how many of you guys have ever heard the the poem, Footprints in the Sand? That's exactly what's going on here. In the poem, Footprints in the Sand, the author says, I look back over my life, and all through my life I see two sets of footprints in the sand. I see mine, and I see yours, God, walking next to me. But God, I have issue with you, because in the hardest times of my life, there's only one set of footprints. And God says, because I carried you through those times. So during the hardest times of our lives, God is there carrying the ark. God also does two things for Noah. He tells Noah about the first two trials he's going to go through. He tells him he's going to be in the ark for seven full days before it rains, and he's going to have to deal with the jeering outside. He knows that by human standards... Noah may have been able to put up with a hundred years of mocking, but when the time came for things to happen and nothing happened, people can be downright evil and mean. And it's said that those people were. 
And so God needed Noah to know that you need to wait. In seven days it'll happen. Then he tells Noah, it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. He lets him know life is going to get rough. God has told us the same thing. Jesus told his disciples, if you're a follower of mine, don't expect a bed of roses. Don't expect a life of ease. If they treat me bad, they're going to treat you bad too. But he also promises that I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never let you go through anything you can't handle with my help. And so God is there carrying the ark as it's rocking on the waves. And then God does something that's very merciful. He allows the ark, instead of to miss the mountain ranges and have to float the entire year, he allows the ark to dock on the mountain. So now that these sea-weary travelers can have some peace. Then it tells us in Genesis chapter 8, but God remembered Noah. Had he forgotten Noah? Remembered is a covenant word. And what a covenant with God is, when God makes a covenant, it's essentially a marriage covenant. That's how intimate it is. That's how, that's how closely and how much it means to God. And so what he's saying is, I remember you. I love you with my whole heart. And in this love, in this remembering, what does he do for Noah? He says he remembers Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock with him in the boat. And he sent a wind to blow across the earth and the floodwaters began to recede. This wind is ruah. Ruah is the same word for used for the spirit that hovers over the surface of the deep during creation. He sends the Holy Spirit to send a wind to begin the recreating process of the world. And this wind has to do some things first. Because imagine with me that every single ounce of life is dead now on the world. A few weekends ago, I went to New York with my husband, and we went to visit my mother-in-law. And she wanted to watch a movie. And the movie, I can't remember the name, but it was um, basically a true life story of a family that had gone through the tsunami in Japan a few years ago. I watched that movie, and it's a happy movie because the family gets out in the end, but it has haunted my dreams because the carnage you see from one wave demolishing a city. There's carnage in the world. There's dead bodies floating around. There's trees. There's houses. There's all sorts of other stuff. And this wind, this ruah, is the same wind that parts the Red Sea on dry ground. It is a powerful wind. And some commentators say that this wind is what helped to bury the bodies to make the world livable. Because if they were all there on the surface of the ground when Noah came out of the ark, it would have been so polluted that nothing would have grown. And so God uses a wind and he takes this strong wind and the strong wind covers up the dirt and it begins the creative process and it covers the body, it covers the mess and it gives Noah a clean slate. And then God starts the growing process. Olive branches grow. Enough vegetation grows for people. God has been at work. 
What we don't understand sometimes is when we feel like our hairs are print, our prayers are hitting the roof is that God is at work and he's working hard for us. But we don't see what he's doing until after the fact. And if we try to get out of the boat before he wants us out of the boat, we're not going to see what he's done for us because we're going to come out in a world that's not quite ready. You see, what God was doing with Noah, he was taking him from a world of sin, a life of sin, into a world that was recreated and a world full of him, a new start. And when God wants to take us from our life of sin, he's got to get rid of the carnage that is inside of us. There has got to be death and surrender before we can submit to a life with God. And so... God is starting this recreating process. And sometimes when you feel like your prayers are hitting the roof, maybe what you need to say is, God, what are you trying to clean up in me? How can I depend on you just a little bit more? Not only that, sometimes we get a little egocentric. We think it's all about me. If Noah had gotten out, maybe when Noah could have survived, he might have gotten out before the animals could have survived. Going back to this whole relationship thing with me, that guy that I talked about never wanted anything else to do with me. And I had a really rough summer. God was dealing with some carnage with me. He had to clean up the fact that I didn't trust him to find me the right man in the right time. And I wrestled with God. And God pointed out a number of flaws and a number of misconceptions that I had about him. And he told me, Jen, you've got to trust me. A little while later, my husband and I, who had dated in, co- in high school, my husband emails me, and we reconnect, and we eventually get married. But something is interesting. In the, when we started talking, we be- both began to talk and kind of compare our timelines of our life. And we both came to the understanding that had we connected one month earlier, neither one of us would have given the relationship a chance. You see, sometimes it's not about us. Maybe God is not answering your prayer yet because the person through whom he's going to answer your prayer with isn't ready yet. Maybe he's telling you, I'm working on you, but I'm working on someone else and I'm working on another situation. You've got to trust me. God is working behind the scenes. So how does, how does Noah handle this whole journey? It tells us the reason God chose Noah was because he was the only righteous man on the earth. When God calls Noah, 120 years before the flood, he's the only righteous man on earth. Noah has his first kids at um, 20 years later. So his kids are 100 years old by the time the flood comes. When people enter the ark, In um, Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, it says, When everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, Go into the boat with all your family, for among all the people on the earth I can see that you alone are righteous. God isn't saying that your family alone is righteous. This is the singular. This is talking about Noah alone is righteous. Noah's influence saves his family. Noah alone is righteous, and how, how did he maintain his righteousness? How did he maintain this long, year-long voyage? It tells us in Genesis chapter 6 that Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time. He walked in close fellowship with God. 
In the Hebrew, it doesn't say he walked with God. It says God walked with Noah. In other words, it shows that the person who all the strength is on is God. So in other words, you find an image of Noah being like a little child, like a two-year-old, and God being the guiding parent holding Noah's hand. And that Noah turns to God for everything, for sustenance and life. Noah makes it through the flood. Noah makes it through his time of waiting because every moment, every doubt he had, he turned to God and he said, God, I don't get this. And then God would remind him, remember when I told you that I was going to wipe the earth clean and I was going to start over with you? Believe my promises. And look, I, I, I allowed you to see that I'm good on my word because I told you in seven days you're going to sit in the ark without rain and seven days happened and no rain. Then I told you 40 days of rain were going to happen and 40 days of rain happened. So I proved myself. Trust me on this one. I got your back. As we leave here today, I can't promise you that you're not going to have quiet times. That you're not going to have times when it feels like God is silent. But what I want to challenge you to understand is God is not idle. God is working on your behalf. His watch is not broken. He is working for you. And the way that you can get through those times is the exact same way that Noah got through. You need to walk with God. And your walk with God, what that entails is having conversations with him. You need to pray. It entire letting him talk to you. It means you need to read the Bible and let him talk to you. It means we need to come together and worship and allow other Christians to encourage us. You need to have a walk with God. But not only that, Noah was able to look back on the promises that God had gave him and hold to those promises. Do you know that God has promises for you in this Bible? They might have been given to a different generation, but he put them there because he knows that you today, right now, need this promise. I have homework for you. I want you guys to go through the Bible this week. I want you to ask God, show me the promises that you are giving me for my life, that you're giving me for this quiet time, this time when it feels like you're not answering, so that I can cling to these promises. I want you to circle those promises in your Bible, highlight them, underline them, do whatever you need to, print them out, stick them at your desk at work. I want you to memorize those. Because as we hang on to the promises, that's what allows us to stay strong. Another piece of homework for you. How many of you journal? How many of you have seen God work in your lives in the past? I want you to write down how God has come through in your life in the past. And when hard times start happening in your life, you need to read those again. Because when we remember what God has done in the past and we claim the promises he's given us, we are able to move forward trusting in him. Noah, when he got out of the boat, do you know what he did? He didn't have a home. He didn't have his food figured out. He immediately bows down in worship. And Noah is generous because he gives, he sacrifices one of every clean animal that was on the ark, his food supply, and he gives that to God. God is asking for all of you today. If we give him just a part, it's not enough. We need to be fully and completely surrendered to him. And when we are, you can guarantee that he's carrying you in his hands.
and that he will come through for you. If you would like to say, God, I'm going to claim your promises this week. I'm going to memorize them. I'm going to journal. I'm going to remember. And God, I'm going to wait for you to open doors. I'd like you to stand with me as we close with a word of prayer. Because God is powerful and he wants you to know he's real in your life. Wherever life's journey is taking you, we hope you can find a home at Gateway Fellowship, a ministry of WGTS 91.9. We'd love for you to visit us sometime. Services happen each Saturday evening at 6. You can learn more about us and get more podcasts at mygatewayfellowship.com.